0: Tonight we're starting a new series that will take us through the rest of the semester and we're calling the series Why Church? And the point is, the point of the series is really to answer or to at least address the why questions that you all have, that we all have about the church. Questions like, why does it, why does it exist? Why is it important? Uh, why should I be a part of it? You might be asking these questions as someone outside the church looking in, or you might be asking these questions from someone inside the church kind of looking out. And while there's really never a bad time to, to ask and wrestle with these questions, these why church questions, especially when you kind of look back and consider what we've been through over the past year and kind of the disruptions to normal church life that this past year ha- has had, Now might actually be a really good time to ask these questions about the church. And so that's what we're going to do for the next couple of months, again, through the end of the semester. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a couple of different passages, actually, and those are included in your PDF, so you can pull those up. And these passages address and answer the question, why church? Why the church? With the response, because... Jesus. And we'll, we'll go ahead and dig into that. But before we do, um, it's probably worth defining the, the term the church because we're going to be using it a lot. I've already used it a lot. So what do I mean by the church? Uh, usually when we talk about church or the church, we typically refer to a place or a service as in, you know, hey, did you hear that Good Shepherd moved into their new church? Like there's, it's a place, it's a building. Um, or, you know, we'll ask, hey, what time does church start? Or uh, are you going to church this morning? And, and then we're referring to a, a service, the service of the church. But the funny thing is, whenever the Bible uses the word church, it, it never refers to a place or a uh, service. It always refers to a people in particular, a people called by God. And so that's how we're going to use this word throughout this series, uh, the churches of people, the people called of God. So why the church? Why join ourselves with this particular people called of God, both globally and locally? Um, The answer we'll see tonight is because Jesus. And before we dive in, uh, let me go ahead and pray for our time together. Would you pray with me? Father, I do ask that you would meet with us tonight as you promised to through your word. Uh, Lord, you promised that your word never returns to you empty. And so I pray that you would um, speak to our hearts, that you would address the the deep longings, the deep desires, the deep questions of our hearts tonight, in particular, those longings and desires and questions and maybe even fears surrounding the church. Uh, Would you speak to us through your word, would you open our eyes, unstop our ears, so that what we might hear from you tonight. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to cut to the ch- chase and jump right in. Um, so why, why bother with the church? Why is the church important? It's, it's because of Jesus. It's because uh, the church is all about Jesus. And we're going to see this in three ways, looking at three different passages. So first, we're going to see that the church belongs to Jesus. We'll look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 for that. Second, we're going to see that that the church makes much of Jesus. Uh, And we're going to see that from John 3, verse 30. And then last, we're going to see that the church smells like, yeah, smells like Jesus. And we'll see that from 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15. So first, look with me at the the passages printed in your bulletin, uh, in in your handout, especially Matthew 16, verse 18. In Matthew chapter 16, just to give a little bit of context, Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, one of the disciples, responds uh, by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And again, all this is context, but it's important. Uh, but, but Jesus responds to Peter's confession. And if I can paraphrase, he, he responds in this way. You're right, exactly. He actually goes, he, he says, blessed are you, um, Peter. And then he goes on to say, no one but my father has revealed this to you. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, full disclosure, there's actually a lot of discussion, a lot of debate kind of surrounding this passage, uh, in particular about what what did Jesus mean when he said, on this rock, I will build my church. Unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that debate or that discussion tonight. Uh, But if that's something that you're curious about, if that's something that interests you, I'd love to talk about it. So just reach out, let me know, would love to grab coffee, grab a meal. And, and have a chat about about that. But what I really want to focus on from this passage tonight is simply those two words out of Jesus's mouth. My church. I will build my church. And, and here from God's word, we see that Jesus claims ownership over the church. The church belongs to Jesus. We are his now to actually go back to Peter for just a second uh, this is something that Peter will go on to include and he'll, he'll affirm this teaching in one of the letters that he writes he'll go on to write to Christians in Asia Minor which is now kind of modern day Turkey. in, in 1 Peter 2 verse 9 he, Peter calls the church a people for his own possession. We're people for for Jesus's own possession, and and also just one more one more instance, um, another place in Scripture that agrees with this. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, the the church at Corinth. He says to believers there, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So the church belongs to Jesus. Well, so what? Right. Like, how, how does that come home to us? How does that address some of the questions that we have about the church? And, and I want to suggest two ways, two ways that this comes home to us, to you and me today. And the first the first is a challenge and the second is a comfort. So first, the challenge. If the church belongs to Jesus, then it doesn't belong to us. And so you might have really strong opinions or preferences when it comes to the church, uh, to to the songs that we sing in worship, to the the particular preaching style from, from the pastor who's preaching, maybe even opinions as to how the church is run, what programs it has, how it's organized. If the church belongs to Jesus, then all of those opinions and preferences, however, you know, well-founded they are, they have to take a back seat to the glory and honor of Jesus. Because, again, the church isn't ours. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And that's a challenge to us. You know, furthermore, another challenge, you know, if, if the church belongs to Jesus, then it doesn't belong to any one particular leader or group of leaders, you know, no matter how great or how poor their particular leadership gifts and abilities might be. And so again, making things really practical, I would just say, you know, because the church belongs to Jesus, watch out for churches that organize everything and set everything up around the personality or the gifts of a senior pastor You need to be careful of churches that do that. And and one one more kind of challenge before we move on to comfort. The church doesn't belong to any one group of people, to any one segment of society. By that, I mean, look, the, the church belongs to Jesus and not the Republican Party. The church belongs to Jesus and not the Democratic Party. It doesn't belong to Presbyterians or to Baptists, to Catholics or to Anglicans. It doesn't belong to black people or white people. And so when a church starts to look the same and sound the same, when everyone is kind of wearing the same clothes, driving the same car, going, sending their kids to the same school, that, that should be a red flag. The church is and ought to be and one day will be the most beautifully diverse people on earth. Because the one thing that we all share, the one thing that we all have in common is that we belong to Jesus. And so I would just challenge you to you know, ask yourself, how can I be a part of that? How can I be a part of that beautiful diversity, how can I contribute to that? Moving on to to the comfort here. It is awfully comforting to know that the church belongs to Jesus. Uh, Just a quick, real quick story I wanna wanna share. Back on uh, January 20th of 2017, Amanda and I were in Greenville Memorial Hospital we had just welcomed our, our first daughter, Emma, uh, into the world. She was born on the night, late on the 19th, and so in the early uh, morning hours of the 20th, I was actually up. You know, it, was a, it was a pretty restless night for both of us, for, for Amanda and I, and I can't remember the exact time. I'd have been around three or four in the morning. Uh, Amanda had actually finally gotten to doze off and get some sleep. Emma was in and out of sleep, and I was wide awake. And I remember Emma started making some noise and I didn't want her to wake up Amanda. So I went to get her out of her little crib, uh, cradle thing, and was just kind of looking at my newborn daughter, just trying to comfort her, soothe her so that she wouldn't make too much noise. And I don't know what it was like, maybe it was the sleep deprivation. Maybe it was just like all the kind of adrenaline and, and emotions of the last several hours. Maybe it was the fact that I just had this Abbot Brothers song stuck in my head, uh, a father's first spring with the line that says, uh, the realest thing that I ever felt was the blood on the floor and love in your yell. <laughs> but, but all of that was kind of working together and I was just full of all these emotions, just deep, deep joy at becoming a father and, and holding my daughter, this precious little girl. But honestly, also deep, deep sadness as I sat there with Emma in my arms, and the thought occurred to me that this beautiful, precious little girl who you know is, is finally kind of sleeping restfully in my arms now, um, full of, of, of life and hope and love from her parents, this, this person is going to die someday. And I don't know where that thought came from. I tried to shake it, but it it really did fill me with with deep, deep sadness, knowing that you know someday she will take her last breath, and you know hopefully Amanda and I are long gone by then. Um, hopefully Emma's you know really old, you know when that happens, but it's not a matter of if it happens but but when it happens. I didn't find comfort until I realized the fact that this child doesn't belong to me. Like, yes, she's my daughter. Uh, Yes, she's, you know, Amanda's daughter, but she doesn't belong to us. She belongs to Jesus. And she's, she's a child of, of the covenant, a child of believing parents, a member of the church. She belongs to Jesus. And that really did finally bring me some comfort, and it reminds me, and it reminds me now, reminded me then, it reminds me now of how the Heidelberg Catechism begins, which is just a teaching tool. It's hundreds of years old, but it's meant to teach, especially children, Christianity, the, the doctrines of the Bible and of the Christian faith. But the Heidelberg Catechism begins by asking, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer it gives is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. Why does the church matter? Why bother with the church? Why belong to the church? Because the church belongs to Jesus. And if that is true, then that really will bring comfort both in life and in death, that, that, that there is no, knowing that there is nothing that can separate you. Not even death can separate you from the love of God through Jesus Christ. Well, so we've seen that the, the church belongs to Jesus. Uh, second, the church makes much of Jesus. You know, a number of years ago, um, this is actually between the summer between my junior and senior years at Davidson, um, I had a, a fellowship um, to, to intern with a, a church body, with a congregation. And so I was interning down in Charlotte uh, at a church called Christ Central Church. And at the time, well, and still now, the, the pastor there is Howard Brown. But at the time, the assistant pastor was a guy by the name of Georgio Hyatt. Uh, and he's actually a, a Davidson grad um, from, from, I think, back in the early 90s. But I learned a lot. I gained a lot of wisdom from Georgia. And uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with that church, with Christ Central Church down in Charlotte, it's a beautiful church that has a really beautiful diversity. Folks from lots of different backgrounds, Black people, white people, Asian people, Hispanic people, just really diverse congregation. But I remember learning from Giorgio in particular, uh, he, he shared with me um, basically how they went about church and how they went about you know, striving for racial reconciliation. How, how do we try to, to have diversity in our, in our body? And he said, he said Andrew, you don't, you don't get racial reconciliation by aiming at racial reconciliation. You've got to aim at the gospel. And when you aim at the gospel, then racial reconciliation will come. But but what Georgia was getting at was, you've you've got to to make the gospel of Jesus Christ the main thing. You've got to keep it the main thing. You can't let anything else (laughs) uh, supplant Jesus and the gospel at the center of the church's focus and attention. In other words, what Giorgio what, what was saying is that, that Christ Central as a church strives to make much of Jesus. Wouldn't you know that's exactly what we see John the Baptist doing in John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist, who is the last of kind of the old covenant, Old Testament prophets, uh, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, he, he came before Jesus and paved the the way for Jesus. He himself earned a pretty large following. Lots of people flocked to him to hear his teaching, to be baptized by him. But when Jesus shows up on the scene, John the Baptist recognizes that that Jesus is who the church needs to focus on. The church needs to focus and, and make much of Jesus. And he says these words in John 3, verse 30, speaking of Jesus, He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's an incredibly self-aware statement uh, from one leader about another leader. And the statement really is at the heart of the church's mission. The church has to let Jesus have pride of place, to let Jesus have the spotlight, to keep the main thing, the main thing, to to, to make much of Jesus. And according to the Bible, the church is and must be the community, the organization, the institution here on earth that boasts in Jesus. Now, just to be fair, there are lots of other organizations, lots of other institutions, lots of businesses that also strive to make much of Jesus i'm sure you're familiar with them just think of like Christian coffee shops that put Jesus kind of in their mission or try to make much of much of Jesus I mean just even think of uh, good drip coffee on on Main Street here in Davidson uh, there are Christian record labels that try to, you know, give Christian artists a platform to make Christian music, worship songs, praise songs, right? There are Christian publishers that are trying to make Christ-centered books and make much of Jesus that way. There are Christian campus ministries like RUF or FCA or InterVarsity or Campus Outreach. There are even Christian fast food chains, right, that are trying to make much of Jesus, but, but, here's the thing that we got to remember. Jesus didn't come and incorporate a coffee shop or a fast food chain. He came and incorporated a church. He didn't give the keys of the kingdom to a Christian publisher, a Christian recording, you know, a record label. He gave it to the church. Campus ministries, Christian campus ministries, we, we haven't received and been, and been charged to go and baptize people and to, and to serve the Lord's Supper. Those things have been given to the church. In other words, Jesus entrusted the gospel of salvation, the keys of the kingdom, the sacraments, the offices of the church. He, he entrusted all of those things with the church. Therefore, it's the primary responsibility of the church to make much of Jesus. I also want to point out here that while there are other institutions, other businesses that that try to make much of Jesus, there are also lots of churches that make much of other things besides Jesus. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with, with, with those, like churches that, that make everything about families, like the family-friendly church, or, or churches that kind of cater everything to single people, to young professionals, or churches that make make much of doctrine and focus on great teaching, great theology, or churches that focus on missions and outreach and social justice and activism, Or churches that that focus and fixate on sexuality, whether that's trying to uphold traditional biblical views or to reform traditional biblical views. There are churches that make much of worship, and, and by that I mean like a particular worship style, whether that's contemporary or traditional, liturgical, blended, charismatic more kind of reverent and somber. The church needs to make much of Jesus. And so as you join a church, as you kind of enter into the community of God's people, you know, as it's expressed in like a local body, you need to to ask, is this church making much of Jesus? How can I contribute to that? How can I help this church make much of Jesus. Or let's say, um, you know, let's say you are getting ready to graduate and move on from Davidson. You know, as you go and look for a church to be a part of, that ought to be one of the first questions you ask. Does this church make much of Jesus? Does it shine the spotlight on him? Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're new to Davidson. Maybe you're a first-year student or a transfer student. Um, and maybe you're still looking for a church to be a part of here right now. Again, let that be your kind of your litmus test. Is this church making much of Jesus? Does this church acknowledge that all things were created through him and for him? As the Bible says in Colossians one, if you, uh, if you, if you're looking for a church here in Davidson, uh, The backs or the second sheet of that handout, that PDF, has a list of of really, really good churches that would definitely be worth checking out, worth considering. All right. Well, not only does the church belong to Jesus and make much of Jesus, lastly, the church smells like Jesus. And that that expression might sound odd. And if you're kind of weirded out by that, I would just say, look, don't don't take it up with me. Uh, take it up with the Bible. So, so look at 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15, where Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ. And actually, I want to give us a little bit of context for this last passage. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So in chapter 2 verse 14, I'll just go ahead and read it. Paul says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And there's a lot to unpack there, but Paul is saying that the church, it smells like Jesus. It's the aroma of Christ. Uh, Through the church, uh, God spreads the fragrance of Jesus everywhere. Uh, The church represents Jesus at such an incredibly personal, visceral, tangible, you might even say at a pungent level in, in a way that really is hard to put words to. It's hard to describe. You know, it's kind of like the expression seeing is believing, except for, you know, instead of seeing, it's smelling. So like smelling is believing. Uh, there's a friend of mine uh, who um, I went to seminary with and we, we were in the same church together. And one of his favorite expressions uh, to say is, that smells like Jesus. That smells like Jesus. And 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 my friend would use that line to describe someone or something that, that just was full of grace, full of love, full of redemption, uh, full of the fruit of the spirit. That, that something that resembled Jesus, that smelt like Jesus. I can think of two examples that I, I want to share with you that, you know, Sam would say, man, that smells with Jesus just to give you a sense for how he uses it and I think how, this, how Paul in Second Corinthians uses it. The first is a scene from Les Miz. Towards the beginning, there's a, uh, a, a scene between Jean Valjean, who's the main character, and an ex-convict, and Bishop Muriel. And so John, Jean Valjean's you know, out of prison, he comes by this church, and the bishop there welcomes him gives him food, gives him wine, gives him a place to rest, to spend the night, just showers him with with love and really with Christian hospitality. And then in the middle of the night, what does Jean Valjean do? He gets up and he steals all the silver and runs off with it. And so early the next morning, the police catch Jean Valjean and they bring him back to the church and they kind of throw him at the feet of Bishop Muriel, and to everyone's surprise, probably most of all, Jean Valjean, the Bishop doesn't you know, bring down the hammer, bring down you know, the heavy hand of justice. He looks at Jean Valjean and he says, what did you do? You forgot the candlesticks. You forgot you know, this goblet and, and just keeps giving him more and more and more, and even just calls him brother just showers Jean Valjean with love and mercy and grace. And as the story unfolds, like that very act, that kindness, that love, that warm hospitality, that, that is part of Jean Valjean's transformation. How he, how he starts to grapple with uh, just grace and mercy and forgiveness and becomes a new man my friend would say that smells like Jesus. And one, other, one other example, uh, there's, a, there's a pastor of a church out in St. Louis that has shared this story with, with me and some others. Uh, he said that he was giving some marriage counseling to a couple in his church, that you know, their marriage was on the rocks, they were heading towards kind of divorce, they were separating, couldn't stand each other, that they were both members of this church. And he just said that one of the things that he told them in, in their counseling session is like, look, if you guys can't love each other as husband and wife, then love each other as brother and sister because that's what they are, they're brother and sister in Christ. But if you can't do that, he, this pastor wanted to say, then love each other as neighbors. You're, you know, you're called to love each other as neighbors. And if you can't do that, then love each other as enemies. That smells like Jesus. Someone speaking truth in love, sharing something that, that is hard to hear, but is necessary to hear. You know, the, the, this married couple, this husband and wife, they thought that they had these irreconcilable differences and just needed to split up and get divorced. But this, this minister was saying, look, You are called to love one another, no matter what. So what does this look like? Again, that smells like Jesus. And so to come back around to to this passage in 2 Corinthians 2, Paul is saying, look, this is the church. The church smells like Jesus. And for some people, it's going to be the sweet, sweet smell of life to life right? It's going to be the akin to like the, the smell of freshly ground, freshly brewed coffee in the morning that just kind of revives you when you're still groggy and asleep and waking up or, or, or the, the smell of, of a bakery for baking, fresh hearty bread. That's going to sustain you or, or the smell of a, of a new baby that's been washed and cleaned. You know, that new baby smell, but for others, for other folks, it won't be this lovely smell of life to life. It will be this smell of death to death, this, this stench of rotting meat, this, this stench of just sickness, of decay. For those folks that, that encounter the church and just smell that, that awful, decaying, rotting smell, they smell it on that, on the church because they can't stand the smell of Jesus. If you love the smell of the church it's because you love Jesus. If you can't stand it, it's because you can't stand Jesus. And I I, I, I mean, if you're anything like me, like you want to smell great for everyone, right? You don't want to smell like death to anyone. But But just consider this not everyone was drawn to jesus not everyone loved his smell especially once he started speaking the truth to power and once he started calling on all people everywhere to repent of their sins and to believe in the gospel of god's kingdom and to follow after him once he started saying look lose your life so that you will find it take up your cross and follow me That drove a lot of people away. That drove a lot of people angry. Angry enough even to kill him. But it is worth it. It is worth it for the church to resemble Jesus. Yes, in hopes that those who are drawn to Jesus will be drawn to the church. But even, even in the event that Folks will be repulsed by the church. It's still worth it. Christians are still called to resemble Jesus and to smell like him. So tonight we've considered, look, the church is all about Jesus. It belongs to him. It makes much of him. It smells like him. It resembles him. But before we close, there's still this problem. There's still this this issue that we have to deal with. You can know all of this stuff. You can know that the church belongs to Jesus, right? and still not want the church, and still not love the church. It is only when you realize two things that you'll begin to truly love the church. First, that there's nothing more important in the entire world than a relationship with Jesus. Not school, not a career, not a spouse, not family, not the approval of your parents, Not your nationality, not your gender, not your sexuality. Nothing is more important than a relationship with Jesus because nothing and no one can satisfy your deepest longings. No one can soothe your deepest fears. No one else can cleanse you of all of your sins as Jesus can. That's the first thing. But the second thing is this. The church is how you grow in your relationship with jesus it is god's ordained institution here on earth meant to encourage your relationship with jesus and as many men far wiser than me have pointed out you cannot have god as your father without also having the church as your mother God wants you to love the church and be a part of the church so that you might know him in and through a relationship with his son, Jesus, so that you could rejoice in his salvation and rest in his love for you.